want to introduce to you uh, the man who will be preaching God's word to us this morning. Uh, Pastor Jeff Gonzalez is a Texan. It's where he was born, San Antonio. And here is another little tidbit about him that I love. A week from today, this place is going to be humming right after church in preparation for VBS. When we go into a week full-on, energized, with kids, lots of noise and chaos and confusion, but in the midst of it, God's truth everywhere, in every aspect of it, for the purpose of children hearing about Jesus, the gospel for the first time for some of them, and others to be discipled in in, um, deepening the understanding of who God is. VBS is coming. Jeff Gonzalez is fruit of VBS. He came to Jesus when he was 11 at VBS. I just love that. Who knows of the kids that are going to come this next week, this following week, not this week, will one day be pastors, leaders in the church. It's going to happen. And so I just, I love that. It's just the timing is sweet. I love it. Um, you went to Texas Tech University, Westminster Seminary, then in California. Um, in 2018, he was called to be pastor at Peninsula Bible Church almost exactly four years ago. You and your wife, Julie, you've been married for 10 years. And uh, this is a man who is an outdoorsman. He's a tennis pro. He teaches tennis, loves tennis. And that's what I like about you, my brother. You love Jesus and his word and his people, but you love tennis. We're going to be playing one of these days. That's a wonderful thing. He's a backpacker. He is, even though you're from Texas, you're a true Northwesterner outdoorsman and a word a man of the word. So Jeff, please come forward and and bring the word to us. Well, greetings, Independent Bible Church. Uh, It is a joy to be here. I bring greetings from Peninsula Bible Church. And uh, Aaron, Pastor Aaron is a good friend of mine. We meet for coffee every now and then. And We also enjoy backpacking, and uh, we enjoy planning trips. We hope to get one later this summer together, and uh, it's a joy getting to know him and just talking about what God's doing in the town of Port Angeles and beyond as well. So it was an honor to receive the invitation to come and uh, preach for you guys. And when he told me uh, that y'all are going through the book of Psalms, I was pretty excited because I love Psalms. Psalms is the choir book for the church. And Psalm 1 in particular is one of my favorites. So today we're looking at Psalm 1. The title of the sermon is called The Blessed Man. So let us go to the Lord in prayer, and we will go ahead and begin. Heavenly Father, it is a joy to come before you on the Lord's day, to come and worship you, to dig into your word, to see Christ. Lord, help us to see the way of the blessed, the way that honors you, the way that brings true happiness Lord, help us to not be manipulated by the things of the world and the things, the counsel that it gives us that promotes happiness, but really leads to destruction. Help us to discern these things. Help us to delight in Christ and in his word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to start off by asking you a question today. What do you consider happiness? And also, are you happy today? 
Are you pursuing happiness? If you ask anyone what they desire really most in this life, many are going to tell you, well, they desire to be happy. And that's something we all share in common, right? We all want to be happy. In fact, in the Declaration of Independence, we read something that talks about this as a fundamental human right, right? It says, we have the right to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yet I read a poll also that I saw about America being a record low of happiness. Everyone comes here with the idea of pursuing happiness. And the world tells us there's different ways by which we can be happy. There was a poll I saw. I used to be a youth pastor. So I I follow a lot of youth stuff. And there was a poll that they interviewed youth saying, what do you think happiness is? And here are just a few of the things. Happiness is able to make others smile. Happiness is the thought of a better future. Happiness is the dream of a world where governments wouldn't focus much on war, but more on us. So what is your idea of happiness here today? Maybe happiness is, is if I can only have that job or achieve this much in income, or, or maybe if I could have this many friends, or maybe if I could have that certain person to be my spouse, or fill in the blank. What is it for you here today? We as Christians, though, we need to be informed, calibrated by the word of God, and he tells us what we should desire as true happiness. And today in our, ha- our passage, we're going to learn about happiness. In fact, the word blessed means to be happy. It means to be happy. And while many chase after happiness, God tells us exactly what we should be pursuing and chasing after if we desire to be happy. Now, just a little bit about this psalm. Psalm 1 isn't the first psalm just because it's the first one ever written. It's actually composed by the arrangers deliberately to put it here. Many people actually talk about it sets the tone for the rest of the book of Psalms. One commentator said, this is the doorway or the mansion that is the book of Psalms. And so Psalm 1 reminds us that there's two ways of life. There's a righteous life, but then there's a way of cursed or wickedness. There's two roads. And we see that throughout all scripture, don't we? There's no middle ground. You're either on one or the other. The way of the wicked, though, it's not so obvious. In fact, it actually promises happiness. It actually says this is the way to true happiness. Pursue this. But Jesus actually said that way is the broad way. So we need to understand how do we know we're on the right way? How do we understand that we're choosing the blessed way? Well, this passage tells us that how you... How you treat God's word is an indicator of that. It indicates what, word, what road you're on. And the blessed person treats it a certain way, contrary to the way of the wicked. The psalmist wants us to know if we're following God, we're committed to his word, and we see that as much better than the things that the world promises as true happiness. So as we continue, I want you to ask yourself, what way am I on as I pursue happiness? Or to have another question also, how can I be that blessed man? That's what I want us to dwell upon. And we have three keys to pursuing true happiness. The first key is discern the way of the blessed. Discern the way of the blessed. Second, avoid the way of the wicked. And then third, pursue the blessed man. So let's go ahead and dig right in. Look at verse one again. It says, blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And as we said earlier, blessed means to be happy or, or to be satisfied. It's, it's to be, have your fullness. And notice this word in the Hebrew, it's actually in the plural. So it could be read this way. It's, it's the abundance of happiness or the abundance of blessing. Spurgeon said this, here we see the multiplicity of blessings or happiness. So right from the beginning, the psalmist takes us exactly where we want to be. We all want to be happy. We all want blessing. We all want it abundantly, too. So true blessing, though, is an indicator of God's favor. Biblically speaking, true blessing comes from God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So right from the beginning, we, we, the psalmist shows us where we want to go. We want to be blessed, right? So it draws our attention. We want to pay attention. Notice he says, blessed is the man. So what he's about to tell us, this is a a fact. It's not just his opinion. This is what he is. He is blessed. And as he starts off, notice he starts off saying what this blessed or happy person does not do. Look at the text. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So first off, He puts it negatively. Here's what he doesn't do. He's not one who's marked by these things, right? The blessed person doesn't feed his mind, first off, with the counsel of the wicked. He's not listening to his particular kind of advice. He, He doesn't hang out with certain kinds of people, and he doesn't go certain places that's going to tempt him to sin. Notice, he walks not in that counsel. The idea for walking here is, is kind of the pattern of his life. It's not like he's saying, hey, you must walk with your right foot in front of your left or anything. He, he's saying the pattern of your life, this should be a certain way. And this is how scripture uses it. Ephesians tells us we're to walk a certain way, right? Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Or Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're to walk by faith, not by sight, right? So there's a way in which the believer is to walk. And so the pattern of the blessed man's life is he doesn't walk in this way. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. So we must start off by asking, what is the counsel of the wicked? The counsel of the wicked is the constant advice that is opposite of God's word. It's the constant opinions of the world that rejects God. It's, it's, the, it's the thing that says, you know, you, if you really want to be happy, pursue entertainment. If you really want to be happy, just have fun. Pursue self-indulgence. It's all about me, myself, and I, right? The counsel of the world says, you're blessed if you have a big house, if you drive this specific car, if you have the perfect spouse and a certain number of friends or a certain number of kids, the counsel of the wicked says, it doesn't matter what God's word says, just do what feels right. You ever heard that? In fact, the counsel of the wicked would say, it's not important to do what we're doing here today, coming to church, praising our savior and listening to the word of God. We live in the world where the counsel of the wicked is ever among us. We're bombarded with it, Right? We're constantly getting the message of the world of false promises of happiness. Commercials everywhere promises joy, promises happiness. If you just have this product, 
If you just spend your money on this, TV, newspapers, movies, happy, all promote happiness. Facebook, whatever, video games these days. Everything is offering a promise of happiness to get our time. But the Bible says the blessed man isn't one who's constantly walking in that counsel. So we have to be careful what we're listening to. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He says you can't have it both ways. You can't be constantly having this advice and then act like it doesn't affect you. It will. Notice what else the blessed man doesn't do. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So notice there's a progression that's happening here. First, you're walking around, and then you hear this advice. Hmm, that's interesting. Then you're standing. You're taking it in. The next thing, you're sitting, actually participating in the very things you've heard. The progression is slow. It all doesn't happen all at once. Notice this this idea for standing means to linger or, or to loiter. He goes, the blessed person isn't one who is standing, taking that kind of advice and participating with those people. To stand actually means you're you're giving approval to those things. The idea of standing in the way of sinners is, is participating in the same action. So first you hear the advice, and then you're like, you know what? That sounds okay. I think I'll try that. I, I know God's word says this, but you know, this this feels right. I think I'll do that. Maybe you hear that crude joke at work or even at school. And you know that offends God and you shouldn't really be participating in that, yet you want to feel accepted. And the next thing you know, you're listening to it, you're continuing to listen to it, and now you're actually standing in approval of those things. And the next thing you know, you're sitting, saying the same stuff, just to be accepted. The blessed man isn't doing those things. The blessed man avoids such points of contact. He refuses to listen to that advice, and he doesn't participate in those sinful actions. And so we can't have that kind of thing and think it's not going to affect us. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Proverbs 6, 27 puts it this way. How can a man carry fire next to its chest and clothes and expect not to be burned? Now, this doesn't mean we can't be friends with sinners, right? Jesus was a friend of sinners. We want to be a friend of sinners. We just don't want to participate or give approval in the sinful actions. Jesus was a friend of sinners so he can preach the gospel and influence them in a godly way. Notice the progression continues. Nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. Not only does the blessed man not listen to that bad counsel, nor stand with them and give approval to it, he also doesn't take a seat with them and participate and do the same thing. To take a seat means you stand in a place of judge and you're giving advice of the same thing. So you've accepted it, you've heard it, you've accepted it, now you're advising others to do the same. It's a downward progression. It's gradual, it's undiscernible decline. And it just starts first off by hearing bad counsel. Again, that progression. One person said it this way, the way of wickedness is not a fall and it is not a one-time action or is it sudden? Instead, it's a gradual decline to the pit. 
It's almost like you're you know, boiling a frog in water. You don't you know, just put it in hot water all, right away. In fact, you turn it up slowly and undiscernible. And in the end, it leads to death. And in the same way, when we receive counsel like that, when we stand and participate, when we give the same things, it's a downward decline to the pit. The blessed man refuses to participate in those things in their pursuit of sin. When I was a youth pastor, I saw many kids, they would go into college, leaving from youth, and one of the things that they would happen is they'd be constantly bombarded by the counsel of the wicked. You know, trying to explain certain things without, without God. Maybe science from a perspective that doesn't include that God created everything. And the next thing you know, they come back and are denying the faith. It's, it's not sudden. It's the constant advice that you hear. And so my passion when it comes to youth ministry is you equip these kids and tell them and, and help them see you know, some of these arguments that they're going to face in college and in the rest of the world, and then equip them on how to deal with that and ground them in the word of God. Notice also, happy is the man here, what he does. First, it's described as what he doesn't do. Now what he does. Look at verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. Notice the but there. Sharp contrast. Very sharp contrast. Here's what he doesn't do negatively. Now here's what he does Positively, he delights in the law of the Lord. Does that describe you? Delighting in the Lord, not reading it because it's an obligation, but because you love it. Have you ever read one of those books where you just can't put it down? You read the book and you're just so ingrained in the novel, the characters, the plot, and you're just undistracted by everything else around you. You just love it. This is what the blessed man does with God's word. He sees the word of God and he loves it. He, he do, hungers for that kind. To delight means to take joy in something, to take pleasure in. And the blessed man does this with the law of God. At the time when the psalmist is writing, what was the law of God? What was the Torah? Right? The first really five books of the Bible, that's what he had. And he, he delighted in that. And the law reveals God and his nature to us. And it tells us how we are to live. And the psalmist is saying, I love that. I hungered for that. How much more should we, right? We have the fullness of God's revelation. 66 books of the Bible that tell us all about who God is. And the grand drama of redemption. Man, we should not just look at that and say, yeah, just another book. We should hunger and thirst for God's word. Psalm 119 says it this way, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do you hunger for God's word like the psalmist did? Psalm 19.7 says this, the, Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. May we hunger for God's word like that. Notice the blessed man, he loves listening to God's word and taking in that counsel rather than the counsel of the wicked. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight to my heart. You can't delight in the counsel of the wicked and follow in their way and then also delight in God's word. You're on either one way or the other. Notice what else. When you delight in God's word that much, look at the effect. And on his law, he meditates day and night. 
He delights so much in God's word that he meditates day and night. That means all the time. In the morning, throughout the day, and right before he goes to sleep, he's constantly meditating on God's word. Now, to meditate, it doesn't mean like kind of like the yoga practice where you just toss everything out of your mind. It's not that kind of meditation. Meditation actually means to, to dwell upon, to reflect on. So he reads God's word, and he's thinking about it throughout the day. He reads God's word, and he's memorizing it. It involves thinking, pondering on the truths that are read, seeing who God is and what the word says he is. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is written within my heart. We, we have God's word in our heart, right? And the Bible tells us, so we may not sin against him. So it's not just emptying the mind, but filling the mind, right? With God's word, filling the mind. It, it flows out of a delight for God's word. If we truly delight it, it's, we're going to meditate on it. Notice what else, this glorious picture here, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. This is a beautiful analogy here that the Word of God paints for us. And it likens this blessed man who, who dwells on God's Word, who meditates on it day and night, who doesn't dwell in that bad counsel or participate in the sinful actions, and it likens him to a big tree. I had a big tree. We have lots of trees here, Port Angeles and in the Olympics. One of my favorite things, as was said earlier, is backpacking. I love to backpack and I love to be in the trees, amongst the trees. But when you're out there, especially, I was just at um, Moose Lake the other day and I was backpacking there and there's tons of trees. But the thing about some of those trees is, is how the roots are like. <clears throat> You have lots of trees that are, as you see, planted by streams of water. The roots go more out rather than down and inward. So this is, this is a tree that's maybe slightly different because the slightest breeze for some of these trees, you don't want to be around them when, they can't, when you're camping, right? Because they can fall down. But this is a tree that its roots go down. Notice it's planted. It's planted by streams of water. And that was my, my, my imagery of Moose Lake there because all the snow is melting from all the mountains surrounding it. And you have various streams flowing throughout everywhere. And you have those trees that are just sucking up the nutrients there. It's a beautiful picture. And this is what the blessed man is like. If you're a tree, this is the ideal situation you want to be in. And the tree symbolizes something that's sturdy, that's strong. But notice it says it's planted. This tree didn't get there by itself. Someone planted it. God is the one who has done the planting. And notice the streams. It's plural. There's multiple streams. It's not just this one water source. It has abundant water supply. And that's like the person who is meditating on God's word day and night. He's constantly being nourished. It's not like the one person who comes once a week and is watered once a week and expects to have the whole week and survive on that. This person... This blessed person is meditating on God's word, and it's like he has water abundantly. There's no drought for him. So imagine that tree. The word of God is the streams of life for the believer. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. So the one who sinks his roots deep into the word of God is constantly going to be nourished. Notice what else, if, if one is dwelling in those streams of nourishment, it yields its fruit in its season and the leaf doesn't wither. So this is a tree doing exactly what it was created to do. It's a productive tree. It's, it has green leaves. When the sun might come and scorch it, it doesn't matter because the roots go down deep to the water source. Also, it, it has fruit. That's what God created us to do, to bear fruit for his glory, right? To bear fruit. You hear the saying, you are what you eat, right? You are what you eat. Or in other words, your diet affects you. So maybe you eat a lot of junk food, you feel groggy, and you might feel overweight. You're, or maybe you eat garlic and onions. I love liver and onions. I know it's weird. I love liver and onions, but sometimes after you eat it, you can smell it on my breath. So it's not the most pleasant thing to eat with people. But I love it. But you can, your diet has an effect on you. In a similar way, a constant diet on God's word ought to show in your life. It ought to have an effect on you, Right? It's going to start molding you and shaping you to promote righteousness in your life, to bear fruit for his glory. In other words, you're going to bear the, the fruit of the Spirit. So the spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You'll see that come out in your life as, as you meditate on God's word and the Spirit working in your life. And it's God the one who is producing that fruit as we are using the sources that he's given us. And this is what the blessed man does. All Christians bear some kind of fruit. If we want to be plentiful for the Lord, we ought to be nourished in the way he has given us to be nourished. And when a tree produces fruit, who is it for the benefit of? Is the fruit for the benefit of the tree? No, it's for the benefit of others to enjoy. And ultimately, it's for the glory of God. We bear fruit for him. Its leaf doesn't wither. It never dies. Rain or heat, the roots have a constant access to its water source. The winds might come to topple it over, but the roots are grounded. Its tree's not going anywhere. And notice, in all that he does, he prospers. Now, this isn't some prosperity gospel. Hey, you know, just read your Bible and you'll be rich. No, it's not saying that. But spiritually, you'll have prosperity. You'll be rich in the Lord. So this is the way of the blessed. This is discerning the way of the blessed. Now in contrast, let's see the way of the wicked. Look at verse four. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So the opposite of what can be said about the the blessed or happy man, that's the wicked. They reject God. If you're wicked, that's another way of saying you're cursed. Everybody falls on one of these two options. You're either blessed or you're wicked. The wicked is everyone who might reject God. Now, there might be some people who reject God who live good moral lives. But in the end, the Bible says if they reject God, they're on the wrong way. The Bible gives us a picture, and it's this picture of chaff. Do you know what chaff is? Chaff is uh, this really thin husk of skin that goes around the grain of a wheat kernel. And during the harvest time in Bible times, basically they had a process called winnowing wheat. 
And what they would do is they would throw all the wheat on the threshing floor. The oxen would thresh it and loosen all the, the, the grains. And then they would toss up the, the wheat fragments with a, a pitchfork. And what would happen is the chaff will just float away by the slightest breeze. And what you have left is just the wheat. For us who maybe aren't familiar with any wheat, an example of this would be kind of like that little red skin on the inside of a peanut that surrounds a nut. It's like that. It's like the slightest breeze, it's gone. He says, that's like the wicked. So you have this tree that's rooted, that's grounded by streams of water. The sun comes, the wind comes, the tree's grounded. Then you have the, this chaff, the slightest breeze, and, it, and it's gone. Which one are you? This is the comparison Scripture's making of, of the wicked. It, it has no root, no substance, no life. It's dry. Hosea 13.3 says, Therefore they shall be like the morning mist, like the dew that goes early in the way, like chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window. That's what describes the wicked. It's useless, weightless. It's at the mercy of the wind. Wherever the wind blows, the slightest breeze takes it away. You might have some kind of belief, but then the world comes and says, actually, we're going we're gonna to change your understanding of this. You must accept that, even though the word of God says this. And they're like, okay, if that's what it means. When the heat of trials come, it just withers up and dies. Or when the slightest wind of temptation comes, it's gone. It gives in. And this actually describes what our life was like before Christ. We are dead in our sins, right? Ephesians 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul says this way in Ephesians 4.14, we used to be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, but being made alive in Christ, that ought not to describe us anymore. But this is the life of the wicked. It's, it's like chaff. So as we look at these two pictures, which one are you? Are, are you like the tree that's by the streams of water, constantly being nourished? The roots grow deep. It's bearing fruit. When the wind comes, it's not going anywhere. It's not going to be toppled over. It's grounded. Or are you like the chaff? The slightest breeze of that temptation comes, and, and you just give in. Or the hard trial comes, and you just dry up. No life. Look at verse 5. Therefore, in other words, in light of everything that's been said, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Therefore. There's two ways. But for us, from our perspective, it, it looks like the wicked prosper. It looks like they're standing. It looks like as they pursue their things, as they pursue blessing their way or happiness their way, it looks like they're having everything they want. And so we're, we're struggling with that as they indulge themselves and, and they seem to be happy. The Bible says, yeah, it might seem that way, but there's going to become a day when that pursuit of happiness that has no root, they're not going to be able to stand in the judgment time. The wicked might seem like they have ground to stand on now, but come judgment, they won't be able to stand. In fact, what will remain standing is what? 
the congregation of the righteous. In other words, the church, those who have been declared righteous by faith in Christ. But when judgment time comes, the two ways will be separated. And the way of the wicked will not be able to stand. Notice, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Both ways promise this is the way to be happy. You can pursue pleasure, indulgence, possessions, earthly things, or you can pursue what the word of God proclaims. You can pursue God. Which brings us to the final point, the only way to be blessed. Look at verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Notice, the Lord knows. This is, if you have your your Bible, you can see that it says, capital Lord, which means Yahweh, the covenant-keeping name of God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This God, he knows you. And it doesn't mean just having, you know, a knowledge of who you are. Oh, I know, Jeff exists. No, it means he has a relationship with you. He knows you intimately. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows those who are truly his. Consider what happens when you don't, he doesn't know you. Right? You might think you know him, but consider if he doesn't really know who you are. Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And where do they go? Into the eternal lake of fire. So we want to be known by God. That means a lot, to be known by God. And it's more than just that mere knowledge. It means having that intimate relationship. And that only comes through faith in Christ. And then we have this last phrase, but the way of the wicked will perish. So there's no third way here. There's no neutrality. You're either on the way of the blessed or the way of the wicked. There's two ways. There's no middle ground. Unlike the righteous, the way of the wicked is going to end. It's going to perish. They can do no amount of righteousness in their own efforts to try and earn God's favor to avoid that. If you rest in your own self-righteousness and think you're just good enough, it's not going to be enough. Because God demands absolute perfection to his law. And so if you're hearing that, you should be starting to feel a little uneasy. That's, that's the point. So as we end, what, what way are you on? Are you pursuing true happiness or the happiness of the world? Are you on the blessed way or, or the way of the wicked that only looks to promote blessing and happiness? And as we said, the Lord demands absolute perfection. If you're reading this psalm and you're looking at yourself and seeing if you line up and looking in the mirror, you should feel a little uneasy. I would hope so. That's what the law of God does. Up to this point, you've heard law. Do this and live. Up to this point, this sermon would be truly acceptable in a Jewish synagogue, but it wouldn't be fully a Christian sermon. What we need to hear is Christ. So who really is this righteous, blessed man? If we fall short of God's glory, if we don't do this perfectly, can we really say it's us? If you're honest with yourself as you've been approaching this psalm you, you, and measure yourself up with what it says, you might feel like, man, I feel I'll fall a little short. When was the last time I meditated on God's word day and night, all the time? In and of ourselves, we can't earn this blessing. We, we shouldn't read this psalm and say, you know what? 
here's the way I can be blessed. I just must do all these things. And when I fail, I just must lift myself up by my bootstraps and do better, try harder. This isn't an anecdote to try and merit your blessing. But it's meant to point you to the blessed man. In light of God's law, he demands, be holy for I am holy. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So here's God's law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. By the way, do it perfectly. And if you sin one time in that, it's like you broke the whole law. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. So we're all born into this world on the way of the wicked. We're all born into this world depraved. How can then we stand? In and of ourselves, we can't stand. God doesn't accept people based on a curve. He doesn't, he's not like the school teacher who, you know, everybody fails a test and he's like, all right, I, I guess I'll move the curve just to make it look a little better and have people pass. God's not like that. He demands perfection. In light of God's law, and the Bible telling us there's none righteous, no, not one, God doesn't lower his standard. Look again at the text. Blessed is the man. Singular. The man. There's a specific man in view here. There's a specific man. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 24, he said, Everything spoken about the law, the Psalms, and the prophet is about me. It's about Christ. All the law, Psalms, and prophets are about him. And so as we read this, we need to be looking at it in light of Christ. Jesus, in fact, told the Pharisees who had the Psalms, he said this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. So as we re-look at this psalm, he is the ultimate blessed man of this psalm. He is the truly righteous one. It's Christ who perfectly fulfills this psalm as the righteous man. Christ never walked in the counsel of the wicked, though he endured it, right? He was tempted. Satan tempted him with the evil counsel, just as he tempted Adam and Eve, where Adam failed and gave in. Jesus never failed. In fact, what did he use? He used God's word to overcome it. It is written because he meditated on God's word and he had it dwelling within him. He never stood participating in the way of sinners. He never sat in the seat of mockers. No, instead, Christ delighted on God's law. He said, I've come to do my father's will. I've come to do his law and accomplish his work. Christ was completely obedient, obedient all the way to the point of death. Christ said, your law is written within my heart. And he perfectly meditated day and night. I delight to do your law, your will, O Lord. Jesus is the perfect righteous man of this psalm. He is that tree who's firmly planted. When the devil tempted him, he was grounded and he didn't move. When temptation came and, and they were saying, you know, show yourself to truly be the Christ. Come off that cross. As much as he probably liked to come out and smite them, no, what he did, he stayed on that cross and endured for our sake. He endured these things. Jesus is the king who perfectly fulfills and earns the righteousness to be the blessed man. And if you're familiar with the book of Kings, and if you look, go ahead and flip over to Psalm 2. It might be on the same page. This is a kingly song. Kingly psalm. 
And Psalm 2 is about uh, this king who the Lord's going to set over all. And he's going to send his son. He says, he says, I will tell of your decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them like a rod of iron, dash them into pieces. So the Lord's going to set up his king. And this king ultimately is the, the true king, Jesus, who is the true son of David. And what kings did is, if you read the book of Kings, some were righteous, some were wicked. And based on the king's obedience, the people were either blessed or cursed. Well, we have a king who is fully obedient, who earns blessing, not merely for himself, but for his people, for us. And then look at the bottom of Psalm 2, verse 12. It says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in his way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So how can you be blessed? You take refuge in the son, in the king, who truly was this blessed one. And then out of love and thankfulness, then we seek to do the psalm. Then we seek to meditate on his law day and night. Then we seek to be obedient. But it's not to earn merit. It's not to earn blessing or favor. It's to show our love and gratitude for what Christ has done for us as that blessed man. We must be given a new nature to be able to desire this, to do this psalm. It comes first by trusting and resting in that blessed man, Jesus Christ. By nature, we're wicked. We are sinners. We don't delight to do God's law. In fact, we're enemies of it. We need the Holy Spirit to come in our lives to make us new, to give us a new desire so that we may delight in those things. But when we're united to Christ, we're reborn. Our sinful nature is changed to, to start to love God and his commands, to delight in his law and in his word. And we're able to love his word and meditate on it day and night. Though we don't do it perfectly, we're then given that desire to. And by the power of the spirit, we can be like that tree that's rooted and grounded, that's nourished. And when temptation comes, we can, too can quote the word of God. We can stand firm and not be shaken. It's because of what Jesus did for us. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins and the body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We have been healed. So as you look at the psalm, the, the way of the wicked is being what? Cut off. Not only does Jesus be that perfect righteous man who earns the blessing, But because we fail, because we fall short of his glory and the wages of sin is death, Jesus then was cut off for us. He became a curse for us in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve and he took it on the cross and he paid it in full. So now as you look to Christ by faith, then, only then can it be said of this psalm can also apply to you. As we rest in Christ, the true Blessed man. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, whose spirit there is no deceit. It is only in Christ can this be said of us. So what way are you on? You're on the way of the blessed, resting in the blessed one, taking refuge in him, and then seeking to do this psalm out of love and thankfulness? Or are you still trying to do it by your own effort? Trying to merit blessing by your good deeds. 
Rest in Christ. He says, all who are weary and heavy laden from working, from trying to do good, come to him and he will give you rest. And only then can you see yourself as this blessed man, as if you're resting fully in the work of Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are so thankful that you gave us Jesus, the true blessed righteous man. Lord, we pray that by the power of your spirit that as we rest in him, as we seek refuge in him, as we delight in him, that you can well in us, well, well up in us a delight for his word, a delight to do what he says, not out of merit, to do merit, but to, out of gratitude and love and thankfulness for what he's done for us. Thank you that we have the true blessed man, Jesus Christ. Help us to look to him when we're tempted to rest in ourselves. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen.